Hello, welcome back. It's week 58 on Out on That Line. I'm Jeff with my co-host, Alex. Alex, how are you doing this week? I'll be honest with you, Jeff. I straight up forgot to prepare a little bit for this one this week. You caught me with my pants down and my cheeks out. Or was that the bit? I am good enough to make that the bit. <laughs> yes, Jeff. That's exactly correct. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so meta. That Woo! was... I don't know which way is up right now. Oh, my God. I got a little puke in my mouth when I was like, oh, my God. I didn't <laughs> think of some quippy, pithy thing to say to open the show. Oh, but that's just your pure, raw, natural talent came through with a nice little bit to open anyways. Ooh, breathing heavy. Ooh. Yeah. Like Chris Christie. <laughs> well, this week... We have the Jason Isbell and the 400 unit cover album called Georgia Blue that we're going to be going over. But first, there is some somewhat earth shattering, groundbreaking news here in the Out on That Line camp. And this one is going to come as a little bit of a shock to all my fellow East Streeters out there, all my fellow boss fans. Bruce is looking at selling. His song catalog, his song and publishing rights, a la Stevie Nicks, Bob Dylan, uh, who else? Uh, uh, Paul, um, you can call me out with that. Why, why? Paul, Simon. Paul Simon. Yeah, I don't know why I just had a brain <laughs> fart on that name. Well, I know why I had the brain fart, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but Bruce is talking about selling his song catalog. And I really, I don't know, man. I don't know about this. I, uh, yeah, I... Here's the thing. We'll get him out of the way up the top. I watched the Frank Zappa documentary on Hulu. Zappa. Okay. Zappa, if you will. And the entire thesis of that movie is like Frank Zappa didn't make art because he wanted to make money off of it. He made art that other people happened to like and participate in, and he couldn't give a shit. He just wanted to put out the things that were in his head. And that's a beautiful, pure thing, even though he was an egotistical butthole. But and I love him to death. So this Bruce Springsteen selling his catalog thing is like the complete antithesis of that. Like and that should be an anathema to Bruce Springsteen because he comes from blue collar beginnings. That's what he used to write about. And like to sell your soul, to sell the stories that you told that you came up with that you honestly share. With all the people who got something out of it, up to and including, I hate to say it, Chris Christie. <laughs> but like it, it, I don't want to be dramatic, but it feels a little bit like a betrayal. Like now you're going to be watching a commercial for the Kia Soul. And it's going to be like, born in the USA. I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, so you think about Bruce Springsteen and, you know, everybody knows who he is. Obviously, maybe there's some really young kids these days that don't have any idea who he is, but that's just because they have bad parents. Statistically, it's going to happen. I'm sorry, folks. But Bruce Springsteen, you know, I don't think he had a number one song of his throughout his entire career. I don't think it ever happened once. And I don't think he ever had like a number one album. He was just always extremely solid. And the people that got it loved it. The people that were all in loved it. And that is the fan base that he built up over the years into being one of the top grossing touring acts in the world, if not the top grossing touring act in the world, maybe next to like maybe the Rolling Stones or somebody like that. Um, but few artists have ever achieved the 
commercial and financial success that Bruce Springsteen has, it, along with being generally throughout his whole career, and there's been some hiccups here, but generally, very critically, very well regarded as well. Um, you know, I think there's there's very few people that have ever achieved his level of success on so many fronts. So I can understand he's got the right to do with that work what he wants to. He has earned that right to do it. We're just two guys on a podcast upset with this decision when it really has nothing to do with us at all. As much as I think my fandom of Bruce Springsteen makes me have some sort of say in what happens to that music. You know, I'd like to think I'm that important. I really, really would, (laughs) but I'm not that important. And I can, and I read an interesting thing in that article that I sent you about it is the idea is that he wants to leave, you know, he's not a young guy anymore and he wants to make sure he leaves his kids and his family with a little something, you know, as he would put it, a little something for themselves, you know, and it's tougher to do that with a song catalog, which I apparently are like, no, especially a legacy one like this are notoriously difficult to manage. You have to have like some, a team of experts that maximize the value of this thing versus just selling it for like the 350 to $400 million that he's going to get for it. And he's already worth, I think well over half of half a billion so you add that to it, and this man's going to be worth over a billion dollars coming from basically nothing in Freehold, New Jersey, and going to leave his kids like 400 and something million dollars with this publishing money. Because I, I think that was the idea is that like, that's specifically just what he's leaving his family. Everything else is going to get kind of like rolled up into or distributed amongst other people. You know, but like that song catalog is supposed to be like what he leaves for them. So it's like, I can understand, given all those reasons, why it makes sense and why he wouldn't want to burden them with having to manage this song catalog. It's just a tough pill to swallow knowing what that song catalog has meant to me. And now it's going to be in like every fucking car commercial that you can think of. I mean, look what happened to Prince's music after he passed away. You know, look what happened to that. You know, it's just going to be used in all these places that I just don't think it needs to be used in, in so many movies where it just doesn't belong, you know, and I just, I don't know. It's it's going to really kind of diminish the value of the music, not so much him selling it, but what is going to be done with it now that he is going to sell it. Well, here's the thing. You're absolutely right that he has the right to do with it whatever he wants. He came up with it. He can do what he wants. It's nice that he wants to leave something for his family, but I would ask, how much money do they really need? If he made bad investments and was divorced a million times like Phil Collins, Phil Collins got cleaned out with every divorce. So, like, if he was, like, in true, like, dire financial straits and could make more money off it, maybe, but it's like, most people don't get left millions and millions of dollars and and do pretty fine, so I understand he wants to leave something to his kids and it's this argument of like, well, why shouldn't they get what was their dad's? And maybe it's easy to say from a position where I'll never be in their position, but I'd be pretty proud of my dad if he had millions of dollars and he left us a little sum sum, but the bulk of it went to people who needed it way more and who never expected to get this. I'm not saying he had to do that, but 
in terms of like leave your family something financial argument, that's my counter argument is it shouldn't be about money. And I think mm -hmm. whatever his motivations are, that's fine. But like you also said, there are not a lot of fence sitting Bruce Springsteen fans. I think you are all in or you are not interested at all. So it's this very mm -hmm. passionate fan base, like you said, I have a connection to this music and, and they feel entitled to a stake in this music. So it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, oh, fuck him for selling. I'm not trying to take like a moral stand or be a hipster about it. But it it does kind of tell me as a music fan and as a Bruce Springsteen fan that the songs, which should be priceless, have a price and he will sell them. And that like that sucks. That's kind of sobering. And I'm sure, you know, Gary in Muncie, Indiana, isn't going to hear about this or give a shit. He'll still enjoy Bruce Springsteen music the same. So will I. It's just like in this moment processing this news, I'm sad. I'm sad that like he wouldn't want to definitively own the rights to his own stuff. No matter how difficult it is when you pass, the Zappa family, the Zappa trust still has control of Frank's music. They make it work. So I don't know. But the thing is, I think monetizing that, I think the idea is he doesn't want to leave them a burden. You know, even though it's a very lucrative burden, it is a burden to like have to deal with that. I think the idea is like he doesn't want them to have to worry about upholding his legacy at all. You know, he's like, I'm going to sell it to people that I think I trust to do, you know, whatever the right thing, if you, whatever that might be, trust them to do the right thing with it and not put that on them. And, you know, and I think it also is like his kids are going to be plenty successful. Like his daughter was, it was in the Olympics for equestrian, equestrian, like the horse jumping, whatever you call that dressage, mm -hmm. whatever the, I don't know. Dressage. Um, yeah. So she was in that. I don't know if she meddled or anything like that, but like she was there participating and had made that team. And I'm pretty sure the son is like, went to a really, really nice college. Didn't he go to like BU? I don't know. I thought one of the sons was a firefighter. I don't know how many kids he has, quite frankly. Three? Two? Well, I think one of them went to BU because he like there would always be like Bruce would perform on the street in Boston and, and all this shit like a few years ago. Um, so it's like, you know, his kids are going to they're going to be just fine on their own. You know, they were already going to get left with a lot of stuff. So I think he just wants them to be able to live on their own, and not have to be a Springsteen necessarily, which I get. But it's like I know for me. There's so many Bruce songs that have like a very special place in my heart. Like every Bruce Springsteen fan, there is a Bruce Springsteen song that played at some big event in their life or or close to it and they those things became related, the song and the event. And every Bruce Springsteen fan that is really a fan has that moment. So I feel like anybody that hears this news that feels how I feel about Bruce Springsteen, they're going to be a little disappointed like I am. Well, and I guess my final word on the whole matter is you're right. It it just feels a little crass. I mean, get that bag, whatever. It's not up to me. I don't hate Bruce Springsteen. It doesn't change the music for me. It's just like the the fear that the music may be changed for me. Like if they try to turn Born to Run into an ad for uh, chicken fries or back at Burger King. Maybe we were yeah. born to chicken fry. Like I don't want to I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. So uh, it, the potential for that to happen is upsetting. I don't want to hear Jungle Land in an ad for Kraft Macaroni and Cheese. <laughs> That's my big fear. <clears throat> well, I was just thinking, I mean, the natural thing would be like Nike's going to start using Born to Run for their 
running shoes. I'm an Adidas guy myself, but okay. Point taken. <laughs> In Jungle Land, like Costa Rica is probably going to start using that for like tourists. Like the, you know, the visit Costa Rica commercials that you get during like Prices Right and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to start using Jungle Land for that. Well, I wish them all well in light of yeah, this. Yeah, I guess I guess news. so. So I yeah, I mean uh, as far as out on that line review on the Bruce Springsteen news, skip it. Yep. Skip it. Skip it for sure. Skip the news. We give it an anemic yeah. response. Yeah. No no bueno. Uh but now on to what I think is some much better news here is the Jason Isbell and the four hundred unit, the cover album they did called Georgia Blue. Of which we picked six songs. Um, for those that aren't familiar with Jason Isbell, he is a Nashville guy. Um, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit is his band currently. He's had a few in the past. Very collaborative artist. You know, is had played with Tim Showalter from Strand of Oaks. You know, he's played on a bunch of other pe- people's albums and stuff. He's an absolutely monster guitar player. So he's played a lot of guitar on other people's albums, um, notably Strand of Oaks album. And, you know, just, I think, all around excellent guy, excellent musician, and I think really loves to pay the homage to his influences and his contemporaries, you know, as much as anybody. And I think this album, with the all-star cast of guests that he has on there, I mean, this, it would be so awesome to see this live with all these people. This Mm. would be a burner of a live show to watch this whole thing perform live. All the stars are here. I, yeah, I agree. There are a lot of great um, guest artists on this. The story behind it is pretty cool. Um, I will cop to a little bit of cynicism in an election year when Alyssa Milano and the other celebrities come out and are like, you guys, it's so important to vote. I'm like, I know, <laughs> and I'm gonna. But you do telling me to do it makes me want to do it less because you're like, we're naked for voting. Just these self-aggrandizing stunts that actually have very little to do with voting. So Jason Isbell put on Twitter, he was like, hey, if Georgia flips blue in the presidential election in 2020, I will record a charity album that is all songs from Georgia artists. And I actually think that's a pretty cool idea. And as soon as Mm -hmm. Biden won Georgia, he was like, I wasn't joking about that. So the fact that it's a charity album and it's tribute to this state and, and it brings in this huge cast of, of really talented performers. It's a home run in terms of the message from its inception to its execution. Yes, this is, I mean, the, the influences, the, the styles and everything on this are so varied throughout the whole album that it just, I I think I told you before the show, I've listened to it like four times already. And, there's a few songs that I'm like, ah, those are those are pretty good, but there but there's a few songs every time I listen to them. And we're gonna talk about the songs that that do this for me. Every time I listen to them, it just gets better and better and better. And I just fall more and more in love with this album. And I hadn't like I'd listened to Jason Isbell, you know, because it's you can't really listen to like Tyler Childers and, and Sturgill and Strand of Oaks and all these other artists without getting some Jason Isbell in there as well, but I've never really sat down and listened to full albums by him. You know, I've always known that he's a great guitar player, great artist. You know, it's just the songs I'd heard. I was like, Oh, those are pretty good. And not until this album that was, I really like grabbed by the power that the 400 unit is capable of creating musically. 
Really? Interesting. Yeah. It wasn't until this. Yeah. They got a live album. Let me look up when it's from that I think will knock your damn socks off. Where are you, Jason Isbell in the 400 unit? I was listening to you before. Let's see here. Uh, live from the Ryman, 2018. Uh, okay. Highly recommend you and the listeners check that one out. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Okay, I will. I will do that. Well, what do you say we get right into the album um, with our first pick, my first pick, Honeysuckle Blue. Now, when you want to talk about some good old Southern rock, some good old, some good old guitar picking, this song is right up my alley. This is right along the lines of, of Blackberry Smoke or Dirty Honey or all these other bands that like just play this rip snorting Southern rock. And my God, is it good. Now, this one's a cover of Honeysuckle Blue by the band Driving and Crying is the band that uh, I'd never heard of them. I'd never heard this song, but I can tell you I probably like this version more than the original. I should listen to the original to find out if that's true, though. It's um, It reminds me of the Whitney episode we did, where that was all covers, too, and then we went back and listened to the actual versions, and some of them were great, and actually Whitney yeah. did improve on some. Um, I I like this song. I thought this was... I um, talked to Tanner, and I'm like, hey, man, which like three would you pick? I'm having trouble kind of picking one, because they're all equally good, and I will say there's a lot of different styles on here, and a lot of it does boil back down to the Nashville sound, which, because mm-hmm. it has such distinct characteristics, can be hard to riff off of. So it was a little penned in for my taste since I'm a fucking weirdo. But not to any kind of like actual detriment. But what it did was make it very hard for me to pick one. Mm-hmm. So I had Tanner weigh in, and one of them was Honeysuckle Blue, and then you... GD rascal, you went in, Tucker. <laughs> oh, I got my picks in early this you week. You sure did. I was <laughs> like, damn, handy with the steel. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like you said. It is. A, it is a solid rip snort southern rock song. Um, I like. I looked up the story behind the original, and it's uh, about a street urchin existing in squalor who's never really known the beauty of a bucolic place like Smoky Mountains in Tennessee or something like that. Um, So I like the sentiment behind it too, because a way that I thought about this album when I was listening through it is what was the song in the context of the time it existed and what could I read into context wise in a, a post Trump 2020 world, like relative to the, the political impetus behind this album. So I, I thought of all the songs in those two ways. And this one very much functions as the story of the street urchin, but it's, it's very applicable to the political climate that we've got, especially in these depressed areas more towards the South um, where there's perhaps not as much value on a life as you'd like on the unborn ones, certainly, but the ones that once you come out, you're on your own. And that's kind of the vibe I got from this is just like people who specifically children who have been abandoned, who have had to fight for the right to exist. They have to scrap for everything they got and they never even get to just like take in the beauty of the mountains. They're they're locked into the struggle. Yeah, this was Southern Rock Springsteen is what this song is. We're going to riff on a theme today. Yeah, yeah, we're we're sticking to it's it's been in my brain. You know, 
It's like when you walk through a field of those like pricker bushes and they all stick to you. That's what walking through that Bruce Springsteen article was like. I can't shake it off. I feel that. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I, I understand yeah. the sentiment. So the next one, though, is probably my favorite song on the album is Crossbone Style. And because for the simple fact that it scares the shit out of me. Yes. Like it is just such a haunting song. Amanda Shires, his Jason Isbell's wife, sings on this one. And who, buddy? What a voice. Oh, yeah. What a voice. Special shout out to the high women, which when you look at it, just like high women. And I'm like, well, that's a nice <laughs> mellow idea. <laughs> and I think that's exactly what they were going for. <laughs> but um, it's Amanda Shires. It's Brandy Carlisle. It's Marin Morris. And it's Natalie Demby. Um, they are great. Best years of my life. Uh, great fucking song. Um, and they're taking on cat power. So this is another like really heavy song about kind of children cast to the wayside. And again, it's the soundscape that paints the picture. I like that there was kind of a jazz drum urgency to this. We've got a little bit of hangover from tune yards. Mm-hmm. Um, a fiddle is an instant threat in any context. I hear it. And Amanda Shires has that same Margot Price throwback voice working in her favor where it's it's the voice of a woman who's seen some shit so mm-hmm. it lends a lot of power to the song you know i was gonna say that i when i first listened to this i wasn't really looking at who the guests were it was just while i was like mowing the lawn or doing other other yard work or whatever um but i thought it was margot price when yeah. i listened to it the first time because it's got that same like very warbly voice like a like a dolly parton like that same kind of thing where it's got that weird little timber you know throughout the voice whenever they hit those certain notes and it hits that certain i don't know what like whether it's alto or soprano like what level it is but anybody that sings in this register where amanda shires is in in this song it always comes across and it like hits your spine in that certain way that it's just like it feels like it's almost like crystallizing as it goes down Mm mm-hmm it's just a very weird feeling, and especially the line, because you have seen some unbelievable things. Like, the way she puts that line together is just absolutely that the hairs on my arm started standing up. I could feel the goosebumps starting to build up. It was just, like, such a visceral experience hearing that song that I had to go back immediately and just, like, zoop, rewind it back to the beginning and listen to it, listen to it again after the first time I heard it. it was, it's just that good. I love it. Oh, she's got a great talent, too, for making it conversational. And it's not conversational mm-hmm. like the Ink Blots or Johnny Cash, where they do a spoken word part. <laughs> but she's great at, at singing with great technique, but making it feel like a confession or a conversation, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate because some of the stuff um, on here, and we'll get to it at the end, when it's just Jason Isbell, is a little like a recitation and feels a little kind of um formal so i appreciate it on a song like this that she added a lot of uh personality and emotion to it yeah and that's that's the big thing that i noticed about this i think maybe the reason i didn't get like super into jason isbell in the beginning is like him as a singer like he can hold the tune like there's Mm -hmm. nothing i'm not saying he's a bad singer whatsoever but compared to amanda shires his own wife compared to who's another one britney spencer on this album mm-hmm. isn't isn't adia victoria on this album too 
um you know it's like there's some heavy hitter female vocalists on this album and some heavy hitter male vocalists too it's like it, so it's it's hard for somebody who is just like has the troubadour's voice like jason isbell does where it's very serviceable like a steve earl or somebody like that where it can hold every tune that it needs to but it just doesn't have that pop and that oomph that like amanda shires has or britney spencer has you know we're not going to talk about it's a man's man's world um but it's like that song was very well done on this album and, and i think because everybody's heard that song a million times a million different versions we don't need to talk about it on this show but it's like that vocalist that was britney spencer on that one like that was an incredible performance mm-hmm. you know and that's the kind of thing that he's up against and like we're gonna do a song maybe two i think that he was the singer on or at least sang in mm-hmm. um so we'll get to like really dig digging into his voice a little bit but it's like the songs like this one crossbone style that really the power of the 400 unit with somebody that can sing like amanda shires like that is that is gold man mm-hmm. like that's you get those two things together that's like whoever dumped the peanut butter into the vat of chocolate you know it's like that shit was a genius move they deserve to be millionaires forever and this like i feel like he should just like play guitar in the 400 unit and sing backup and just have his wife sing full-time uh yeah and i would honestly i could argue for britney spencer too although she's gonna go sure. off and do her own yeah. shit and we can get into that later but wow, yeah, he uh, he sure has some talented, famous friends. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, how about we get to your first pick on the album, Sometimes Salvation? Well, Jeff, would it surprise you to learn that when I solicited Tanner for his top three picks, he picked a Black Crow song? <laughs> it would not surprise me at all. The it man who me at all. read Steve Gorman's book this summer out at camp couldn't tear him away from it. Um, and he even admitted, he's like, you know, I had to nominate the Black Crows. I don't know why I did a Mitch voice for Tanner, but. <laughs> well, they're one and the same now. They're, they're melding. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, this was, this pick to me, this is um, exemplary of what Jason Isbell is up against in trying to be the lead vocalist, which is you are trying to walk in the footsteps of Chris Robinson. And that is not easy for a trained, polished powerhouse vocalist to do. No. Here's the thing. Jason Isbell fucking goes for it. He tries his damnedest. He puts a lot of soul into it. It is an imperfect sound that like threatens to go off the rails at any moment. He doesn't quite make all the notes. He's a little flat on some stuff. But that looseness lends itself to the song and the message of the song and it lends itself to the black crows like chris robinson can hit the notes <coughs> but the spirit of it is is kind of this like <coughs> shot out of a cannon energy mm-hmm. um and that's where jason isbell gets away with a lot of leeway he uh yeah he can match the intensity and the excitement if not the vocal technique yes and and you're right like chris robinson if people haven't listened to the black crows you know, go listen to She Talks to Angels, go listen to Remedy, you know, go listen to Hard to Handle, that being a cover on its own. But it's like you listen to the Otis Redding original Hard to Handle and then you listen to the Black Crows version of it. And it's like they they kicked it in the in the side with a pair of steel toed boots. 
mm-hmm. what they did with that. You know, so it's like trying to emulate any sort of Black Crows song, especially like the early Black Crows. Like that's going to be tough because Chris Robinson was a super power voice, like super power vocalist in that time. As far as the rock and roll voice goes, like that was it. I mean, nobody since like probably Steven Tyler had sounded that good singing rock and roll music. Maybe Chris Cornell, but that was different. Like that was like metal version. Like you're kind of country based or blues based rock and roll. Nobody was singing like Chris Robinson at that time. Um, So this definitely was a cool song because I think, you know, the Black Crows certainly had a lot to do with where, you know, kind of Southern rock went from the 90s on. You know, a lot of bands like you listen to Blackberry Smoke. There's a lot of Black Crows in that a lot. You listen to the 400 unit. There's a lot of Black Crows in that. If they get when they get into the real blues, nitty grit and get away from the straight up country like that kind of vein runs all the way through, ran through the Black Crows and it's running through this music these days, too. Um, So this was a really, really good song. I love the lyrics and you can lead a horse to water, but faith is another matter. It's just another way of saying like. You could keep it simple and say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Mm-hmm. But it's like you can lead a horse to water, but it's like, can you get someone to actually believe and buy into what you're saying? You know, and I think that's such a cool, clever way of using a simple kind of colloquialism and then meshing it with some like really kind of heavy duty theoretical stuff there. Yeah. And I just love the whole message of the song, which is like, Trust and broken trust and broken promises are inevitable, but sometimes through that you find the answer you're looking for. Sometimes salvation comes out of utter chaos. And mm-hmm. I really like that idea, like looking for it in other people or in material fulfillment or in career advancement or whatever. You know, it, it, it's not as satisfying as, as coming to the answer you need when you need it without any bells and whistles. So I, I love the message of the song. Yeah. Yes. And now moving on to another one. This one, I was pretty excited to see the guest artists on this one. Uh-huh. Um, Kid Fears. Because, the, well, this is one of your picks. So I, I know why you picked it. And I want to let you bring this one in. Yeah. So the guests we're talking about are Brandy Carlisle and Julian Baker. Um, and it's a cover of an Indigo Girls song that is, uh, as described by the Indigo Girls, um, there were, there are obviously a lot of children who grow up and experience abuse and trauma and all this kind of pain, but Indigo Girls were talking about how when they were young, the scariest thing was the monster under the bed. So all kids have fears, but not all kid fears are created equal. So it's this kind of ironic title where it's like, ah, kid fears. But in this case, what these kids fear is very real and very violent and they can't explain it and they don't know why it's happening to them. So it's a heavy, heavy fucking song to put on this album in an album where there are actually a lot of other heavy songs peppered in. Um, but to me, the trick was really in the casting here with Brandy Carlisle and Julian Baker, but I don't want to talk too much cause you were, you looked like you were loaded for bear and then you gracefully let me bring it in. So what, what are your thoughts? I was going to say this is a Julian Baker song. Mm-hmm. Like we did the Julian Baker album um, and I'm going to blank on the name of that album. So I'm going to, if you want to, I don't know if you have that one in the chamber, um, but it's 
the subject matter of, you know, kind of your upbringing and how you're told to act and how you're told to feel like that is the vibes. I, I remember specifically from that Julian Baker album, everything I got out of that was I was raised to be one way. I was told all these things were the right way to do things. And then I grew up and realized that what I was taught was an ev- was evil. What I t- was taught was wrong and would send me to hell. Like those weren't really the things I should have been afraid of. There were other much larger things for me to be afraid of. And that's kind of the sense I get from this song where it's like, it's basing it on these little, like your classic kind of kid phobias, but making it kind of expanding it a little, I guess, to make it a much more kind of existential sort of thought process instead of just like, Oh, it's the monster under the bed. It's like, no, it's just life itself. Like not knowing what's going to happen, all these unknowns and all these things that are trying to influence you. That's the scary thing in life. And I feel like that's such a cool way to kind of juxtapose something simple with something complex to make it understandable and relatable. Now here's where I want to get into the beautiful trick of the casting. Not only is this heavily reliant on the beautiful harmony that Brandy Carlisle and Julian Baker's voices make and the great contrast between them. Cause Brandy Carlisle's got this kind of weathered, like I, I love the song or the line from the story. All these lines across my face, tell you the story of where I've been. Mm-hmm. And that's very true of her voice as well. The voice kind of tells you where she's been. And then you've got Julian Baker who's 26 and has this like innate sweetness to her voice that hasn't been kind of stomped into an interesting shape by experience. What I loved technique-wise here is it felt like two different versions of past and present echoing trauma throughout the generation. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is the first time, the first verse is sung by Brandy Carlisle, backing harmonies by Julian Baker. And that one really feels like a woman living in the now who is haunted by her past self, her, her younger child self. That's the dynamic. And then in the second verse, they switch, and it's Julian Baker singing with Brandy Carlisle on backing harmonies. And that, to me, seems like a young woman who has not yet become this older woman. Mm-hmm. So the young woman is experiencing these traumas for the first time. And there's this future version of herself who's like, yep, been through it all. And there's nothing I can do. It's like three different versions mm-hmm. of the same woman reaching out through time unable to help or comfort each other. I think it's just, it was put together in such an interesting way. The one thing is Brandy Carlisle kind of overpowers Julian Baker on Julian Baker's verse a little bit, Yeah, but it has this very like haunted, emotional, harrowing sound to it, like an outburst, like sobs. So it, it totally works. The second time I listened to it, I'm like, nope, that's a great technique thing. It really mm-hmm. does feel like ghosts. And it's beautiful. Yeah. It's like a very like time is a flat circle kind of thing, you know, a real cosmic gumbo. Oh my God, Jeff. (laughs) Let me tell you something earlier today. I thought about it. I was like, I got to retire the cosmic gumbo bit (laughs) because I do Frank Zappa. I can't be doing too many bits on the show, but it looks like you've, you've inherited the curse of the cosmic. Oh yeah. I mean, you could not have set that up anymore. Like listen, listen to what you were talking. How could I not, have done that wow wow i'm grinning I mean, you're talking ear. about ghosts and time travel and like past present and future it's like oh, my friend 
But did any of it make sense or did I just talk insane? No, it made perfect sense. It okay. made it was it was very much like Ebene- some Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> you know, some some it was a Christmas carol. You know, it's the co- the ghost of past, present, and future. And it's what it is is really telling the story of somebody that's thinks the world is going to be one way and then there's the voice from the future saying like nope it's not going to be this way like change what you're doing now otherwise you end up just like me and then it's vice versa where it's like the person the old person's like oh i could have made these changes and not ended up where i'm at now so it is it's like very existential like very much has like whichever way you want to look at it somebody is talking to somebody else from a different point in their life. Even that it's the same person. It's like, they've, they've made this connection. They have the, the tin can telephone from point A to B in the, in the space of time. And they're able to communicate with each other during this song. And it's just a beautiful moment where they're able to kind of see where the future lies, what mistakes were made in the past, you know, how to maybe patch some things up and smooth that ride off into the sunset, you know? Well, they certainly gave us a, a smooth ride. And by that, I mean, it was haunting and jarring and yeah. depressing and wonderful. Yeah, it was it was very excellent. Very, very excellent work. And I got to listen to more Brandy Carlisle. Yeah, she's a good listen. And the, the high yeah. women in general are a good listen. Yeah, I got I to gotta listen to more of that. Well, I don't think it would be appropriate for us to talk about an album based on Georgia artists all covers of Georgia songs and not talk about midnight train to Georgia. This was mm-hmm. your third pick on the album. Why don't you tell me why? Uh, quite simply, Brittany Spencer. Yes. Brittany Spencer. I did not have a fucking clue who she was before this. And I want to know everything about her now. Mm-hmm. She is fucking perfect. She maintains the soul flavor but remember when we were i was talking about like the nashville sound is hard to break out of Mm -hmm. it's not hard to get into so she basically is taking soul nougat and rolling it in nashville sound chocolate and it is absolutely fucking perfect Mm -hmm. this this version of it is a little more urgent i think as a result of the nashville sound it's not quite as languid and mournful it almost has like a twinkle in its eye as it it moves forward which is in stark contrast to the last song we'll talk about um and and britney spencer her voice is just so clear and beautiful and warm and syrupy but it's weightless she doesn't have to struggle at all kind of like jason isbell did in sometimes salvation her technique is fucking flawless but you don't even focus on her technique when she's singing. It's beautiful. It's from the gods. She is amazing. Britney Spencer, Britney Spencer, Britney Spencer. She is the whole thing. Yes. It's like the same kind of, I feel like I felt when I heard, because she had the the earlier song, um, you know, It's a Man's World. She did that one. And mm-hmm. when I heard that, I was like, damn. Because sometimes, you know, there's a lot of people that can sing that song really well. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of really good singers in the world. There's there's tons, millions, whatever number you want to put on it. Like, anybody could learn to sing pretty well, you know? But very few times do you just hear 
a certain voice and it just like hits that deep party where you know like every bit of what they're singing they're feeling it just as much as you're feeling it and it's like they're acting more as a conduit for the song than they are performing the song you know and i think that's when i watch any show like the voice or like any sort of live performance of bands that i haven't seen before it's like the ones that really get me are the ones that i can tell feel that song just as much as i do you know and they're not just up there to perform it you know and i think they're the reason that like Adam Lambert worked so well with Queen is because he felt those songs. That's why that lasted so long. The reason that Britney Spencer does these covers so well is because she knows the feelings of why they were written and she is relaying those through her voice. It's not just singing the notes. It is relaying the feelings. And I think she does that about as well as anybody I've ever heard. And the two songs she has on this album are just simply incredible. Yep, it's a breakout moment for her, hopefully. I hope more people find their way. Because let's be honest, like there's a specific audience for Jason Isbell, but I hope that Southern rock fans, country fans, gravitate towards her and support her. And it'd be nice to see her get some mainstream play because she is... I, I don't think she couldn't do any genre. She just... Oh, her voice is fucking yeah. perfect. It's yeah. so perfect. And the thing is, you know me, I have a fetish for weirdo voices. Her, There's nothing weird about hers. It's no. just magic. It's just it's pure good. Absolute magic. The idea that you yeah. said of her being a conduit to the universe and she's an instrument, absolutely apt. It's it's pure magic. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. Love it. Britney Spencer. Yeah. Some people can just get their, like, their body's tuning fork just vibrates in perfect frequency with whatever tuning fork is up there in the universe. And it's just like those sounds, you, when you hear that, those two things come together. It's like the clouds open up, you can see the gears turning. And like for a moment you see like what the, you know, it's like saying feel the dreams, the universe opens up and you can see what's possible, you know, and that's the kind of, that's the kind of singer that I think she is. And I would love to hear her do some other genres of music to do some like straight up, I just, you know, more blues songs, more soul songs. You know, I'd love to hear a lot of those older songs kind of get brought back into this generation as well. And I think there's very few singers that can do that without it being gimmicky. And you have to have that kind of pure, powerful, perfect voice like she has to do that. You know, and I, I oh man, that's the two songs and especially this one, Midnight Train to Georgia. I will always love it because it's just so bluesy and soulful. And she just knocks this out at the park. You feel every bit of this. You know, it's not just a performance. It's not just like a cool thing. Like, oh, look, they're doing an old song. Like, look how cool they are. They know they know their history. It's like she felt this just as much as the original people did when they performed it. Well, it looks like she's pretty damn new to the business, too, because she doesn't have an album out. It's all singles. And the earliest one is from 2019. So she is she is poised to explode onto the scene. It doesn't look like she's got too much here. So I'm I'm hoping an album's in the hopper. I'd love it if Jason Isbell was like, hey, we'll we'll produce it for you. I mean Hell yeah. Christ. I mean if they just she just had the four hundred unit as her like studio band. <sighs> it's funny you say that because a while back in the conversation when you were talking about like Jason Isbell should play guitar. That's a. I mean, if if he wanted to switch it up and do Britney Spencer and the 400 unit, and mm -hmm. they back her, it would be a juggernaut. 
she's she's perfect for that style mm-hmm. of music and she's already proven she meshes seamlessly with them i that's yeah. a hell of an idea yeah that would be, i mean at least just for some like one-off shows at least or like a few one-off albums or yeah. something just maybe more covers maybe they do like the texas texas blue or something you know just like all texas songs whatever whatever it might be like because there'd be some good ones for that but i don't think texas is ever going blue so i was gonna, gonna say yeah <laughs> he's just gonna have to decide <laughs> one day he's like oh well, i like texas songs let me do some steve earl and some lie love it you would have to call that album <laughs> texas slightly less red than usual <laughs> yeah texas purple yeah it's the best <laughs> you can hope for <laughs> well um, I will say Midnight Train to Georgia, other than um, other than Crossbone style for me, probably was like the standout song on the album. I had a feeling you were going to pick that one. Yeah. So I was like, I know we're going to get to talk about that one. So I'm going to pick some other ones. And the one that I really wanted to get to and talk about was I'm Through. And the reason is we've been talking about how Jason Isbell is like not the strongest singer you know there's other people that that can sing better than him and did these songs better than him on this album or better than he could have i think he'd probably even say so himself um but i will say this song i don't know if there's anybody that would have sang this one better you know i think i think as far as when you talk about like we were saying with britney spencer that she can just be a conduit you know it seems like she's able to tap into that very like basic emotion whatever is necessary for that song to come through in its purest form and i do think i got that feeling from i'm through where there's probably plenty of other people that could have sang this one just as well as him but i really felt like he crushed it on this song and i agree i he has this interesting kind of neil young affectation where he sounds older and more weathered than he actually is and it's got these extremely bitter lyrics and there's this tiredness to the vocals and not tired like not trying but just like he said this 10 billion times and here comes another um my issue with this song is that ironically it's a song about a guy who feels like he doesn't fit into a rigid hierarchy and the song itself is very, very mannered. It mm-hmm. moves a little too slow for me. Purposeful is great, but Jason Isbell is blasting his vocals, and it makes the song sound a lot slower than it is, and I become very aware of it. So to me, it's like you either pull back on the gas with the vocals and make it a little more tender, or you have to make the song a little bit fast. you got to pick the tempo up a little bit. So I like the message, I like the vocal delivery, but quite frankly, by the end, the song became a little bit of a slog to me. It felt really long. It felt like a 10-minute song. So that's my kind of unfortunately shitty criticism of a song I otherwise enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair, too, because I think this one is, when I was listening to it, it definitely is weird. You know, it's not like a very normal structure. You know, it's, it's a very just basic blues lament. You know, that that's what it is. Like Steve Earle has done this song a zillion times, you know, it's just very much like uh, Scott H. Byron would still drunk, still crazy, still blue is like that same, that same kind of thing where it's, 
you know, I think those kept like still drunk, still crazy, still blue, like kept a better pace throughout the song. I think if this had reached that pace, it would have been a, you know, one of the standout songs on the album for me. You know, I think for me, it just made me appreciate that Jason Isbell is proving he's like, I'm not just like a, a hired gun with a guitar. You know, it's like, I really feel this music. I really, truly love this music. And I want to, you know, participate and put my feeling vocally into this whole album. You know, because it's, I mean, he'll probably, like I said, he'll be the first to say he got lapped a million times on this album vocally by everybody else that he had on there. Um, But I think he picked the right song on the album. If he did any of the other ones and he tried to really, really sing them like him trying to sing Midnight Train to Georgia or, you know, even Crossbones style, like those songs are not going to be at all the same with him singing it. So I think he picked of all the songs on the album for him to sing like this was the right one for him to pick this was the right one for him to pick and he was really smart now that you pointed out to defer to other people to flesh this out you know there are plenty of people that would be like no this is all about me this is the jason isbell show i'll just do everything regardless of my ability to do it or how appropriate it would or wouldn't be based on my skills so i think he was smart and generous in the way that he distributed the songs on the album um, in the spirit of charity. And I, I agree. This was a great one for him to cash in his chits. I have no beef with his performance on it. Just the whole thing overall was a little slow for me personally. And that's, and that's fair. I mean, if you're going to have like, really, I think that's been our only real criticism on this whole album basically was this song was too slow so i think overall it was a it was a very good album you know i think this was something that you know he could have very well mailed it in you know a lot of people make these promises and then we end up with like imagine with a bunch of celebrities doing a bunch of bullshit you know it's like this was actually a well thought out album he might have had his oh shit moment where it's like oh they actually did it now i have to do this (laughs) But he put like this is a 100% effort album. You know, I don't think there were any real dark spots on this album for me. You know, there was there was not there was nothing on here that I was like, ah, that wasn't very good. Um, you know, everything was at least enjoyable and at best was pretty like earth shattering. Yeah, uh, for me, overall, simple, clean, efficient, very enjoyable, a fun way to pass the time. Um I sometimes hit a point of diminishing returns on certain genres. Um, last year or the beginning of this year, maybe it was the indie girl. I, I mm-hmm. hit a bit of a wall with that. Um, and I, I veer dangerously close sometimes to Southern rock and country to, to falling into that, which sucks because you don't want to like unilaterally ban a genre from your life just because mm-hmm. you, you're a little sick of it lately. Um, it's stuff like this that kind of comes in as a nice refresher. It's just kind of presenting me with something fun and light and delicious and not it's it's substantial. When I say light, I don't mean like, oh, it's fluff pop. I mean, it's just kind of a treat. It's an album of covers mm-hmm. to celebrate a thing that happened and and the joy that people felt and it goes to charity like I'm thinking about picking up a copy i want to make sure that the purchase benefits charity and what that charity is yeah. but if if 
it's all right. I want to, I'll pick up a copy of it. I mean, that's yeah, for sure. It was a cool album done for the right reasons. And I think they pulled it off. They stuck the landing. Yeah. I would say stream it. Stream it. Absolutely. Two thumbs up from out on that line. Now, I want to talk to everybody a little bit about our video content and what folks might want to see coming up from that channel. Cause we're, we're doing our singles videos. I, I think we've hit a very good groove with that. You know, we alternate weeks, you know, it's not too heavy of a workload, at least, at least on my end. Um, I do a little bit less editing, <laughs> slightly less, but that's, that's your, that's where your talents lie, you know, is, is the, the creative media sort of space, you know, but we want to know what you want to see in those videos. If there's other sort of content that you want to see, you know, we, you know, we're definitely open to trying some new things out, you know, seeing what else we might be capable of. Um, we had a video recently that did very well is still getting views, you know, somehow got into that, hit the, the slipstream in the algorithm and it has been kind of cranking out some views for us. So that's nice. It's also encouraging, you know, giving us a little bit of that creative boost, a little bit of that Bunsen burner under our beaker, you know, getting us going and, and maybe trying to make some new stuff as well. So let us know what you want to hear. Send us recommendations. Send us those end of the year best ofs, worst ofs, albums, songs, news, whatever it might be, our own episodes, whatever you think you, you think deserves to get that end of the year kind of shine or or bashing, whichever you prefer. Um, just let us know. You can let us know on Twitter. You can let us know on Instagram. You can send us an email out on that line at gmail.com. On YouTube, you search hashtag out on that line on YouTube. You'll find all of our episodes, all these regular episodes, as well as all those singles videos and any other video content we might produce in the future, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you hit that little notification button so that when we do release those things, you get notified. Um, and tell your friends. Comment, like, share, all those fun all those fun things. We hate to beg for attention here, but you know, we enjoy doing this podcast. We want it to get to more folks, and we need your help doing that. So if you like an episode, share it. You know, if you if you have an album that you love and you want us to talk about it, tell us. Let us know. Alex, well, was there anything that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, just on the note of the begging thing, I would like to go out by quoting TLC, and I ain't too proud to beg. <laughs> well, let us know on Twitter, Instagram, send us an email, find us on YouTube, comment, like, share, subscribe, all that fun stuff, and from all of us here at Out on the Line, until next time.